Hello everyone, my name is Tom and welcome to The Financial Pundit, a show where we talk about um, questions on personal finance. Now today's episode is going to be about the concept of Japanification, or basically what happens uh, when a country goes through an entire generation of stagnation, and whether this is something that here in the US we need to worry about going forward. All this coming right up. Now, over the past several years, people have been starting to worry about the U.S.'s role in global innovation. Um, and people have been starting to compare the U.S. to what happened in Japan through the 2000s. Um, in a sense, basically what's called Japanification. Now, to get a better sense of what this actually means, we should take a look first at where Japan actually came from and where they ended up. So if you have, well, you should recall that um, Japan post-World War II was actually a very, very rapidly developing economy. Um, if you take a look, for example, they introduced the first mass-produced transistor radio in 1957, followed by the first pocket calculator in 1970. And innovation in Japan happened so quickly, like they introduced the Sony Walkman in 1979, and you know what? <laughs> the Game Boy in 1989. And this is basically from a, a war-torn post-World War II economy. Um, and these products became so ingrained in uh, American culture that um, here's actually a picture of from the National Museum of American History. And there you've got it, right? A Game Boy front and center. It's become so ingrained in American culture that we've kind of co-opted it as our own, right? And here's one of my favorite photos, actually, is the invention of the selfie stick, which actually happened in the 1980s in Japan. However, though, if we start thinking now about the innovations that have come out of Japan over the past decade or two, um, what comes across our mind, right? Not much, <laughs> to be fair. No, I mean, Japan has, got, has actually created a lot since, but it hasn't been at that level of cutting edge that they were from the 70s through the um, late 90s. And so the question I have, uh, the question a lot of people have actually is why? Right? Why did Japan start to slow down so quickly? Now, there are a number of theories about it. Um, the most popular one, which actually doesn't seem to hold much water, is that Japan is far away. So here's a quote by uh, Kenji Nanaka that to be successful for that innovation, you have to be close to the customer. You have to have a sense of those customers' needs. And Japan is very far from the United States and very far culturally from China. Now, the reason I don't really buy that argument is because, well, um, realistically, the, <laughs> the US and Japan are actually no further apart than they were um, now than they were in the 1970s. In fact, they actually <laughs> are slightly closer because the Pacific Ocean is really, really slowly shrinking every year. <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of an aside. Um, and on the cultural sense as well, right? You have to remember a lot of these products that came out of Japan um, in the 70s, 80s, 90s transcended language even, right? Where you have pocket calculators, Game Boys, these things were instruments that didn't require language to use. It's the same thing for like biotech and nanotech. Um, and that, um, that brings me to the second point actually, of a lot of people also therefore say that Japan slowed down in innovation because it's a homogenous culture, right? So here's another quote actually from CNN in 2019. Experts also blame the 
innovation decline on Japan's homogenous work culture, combined with a risk-averse financing system that has stifled creativity and innovation. Now, again, that homogenous work culture is pretty similar from the 1970s to today. Um, now, here's here's the thing. From um, here's a quote from the Harvard Business Review in 1981. Right, that um, to paraphrase. The myth of Japan Inc. that they were a very homogenous country to begin with um, and working together very, very well is a little bit misguided. So here, quote, what they experience in their daily lives are tensions, pressures, conflicts, and not unity. Um, so if you take, if you think about it for a second too, a lot of um, industries in Japan today are actually still very, very competitive, cutthroat competitive, in fact. So if you take a look at the auto industry um, out of Japan, they are very, very cutting edge, very, very competitive still. Now, the question, though, about banks becoming um, more conservative in their lending does actually hold some water. But it's actually not a cause, but a symptom of what actually really happened. So the question that I think we all have in our mind then is, well, what happened? Um, so a study by McKinsey found that in the year around the year 2000, um, Japan started to take a two-speed economy, basically. So the export industry, so the high-tech industries, basically anything going towards the export market, um, fared actually pretty well till about 2011, while the domestic industries really started to fade quickly in about that year 2000. Um, and after the year 20, uh, 2011, even the um, even the export industries started to decline as well. So the question we all want to know is why? The reason this actually happened was from demographics. So here's the age range, the average age in Japan um, on selected years. In 1980, the average age was 32.5. So basically close to what India has today. In the year 2000, um, the average age was 41.2 years, and by tw uh, 2020, now, the average age is 48.8. And for comparison's sake, the US average age is 37.7 years. And this was actually the reason why Japan's economy came to such a halt. It basically just grew old very, very quickly. Now, the question of the financial sector, of why did the financial sector become more conservative in their lending, um, actually came from the um, from this um, declining risk factors, actually, of people basically aging. Um, so here's that same study by McKinsey that says, during Japan's long period of muted demand, banks tended to funnel excess cash into low-risk, low-return government Debt. So that's basically what happens when you have a very, very large portion of the population retire and don't have that working class, uh, enough people in that working class age to make up for it. You end up what's basically called with zombie banks, banks that are kept alive by, um, gov by low government rates. Sound familiar in the US, right? <laughs> but banks kept alive by low government rates um, and not necessarily very good loans. It's a real drag on the economy, but the cause of it is much more about demographics rather than the banking sector itself. 
Now, the question is, is the US heading in that direction as well? From a demographic standpoint now, the US is still aging, right? And is that something we have to worry about? So here's some numbers. Dependent from old age in 2010 was 21%. So basically 21% of the population was old age dependent. Currently, we're at 28% and it's projected to go up to about 37% by 2040. Now this is still way less than Japan, which has actually close to, actually it's about 50% or so, but um, it's something that we still need to worry about because this shows up in politics everywhere, right? Um, we want to be able to, um, to have the resources to take care of people who are retiring as well. And that's, that's I think, very, very important to do, very important to think about. But by doing that, as we have an aging society, uh, what ends up happening is that that old age dependency ratio that goes up means that there are fewer people, fewer working age people to support that economy that will be able to help provide for those who are retired, who are not working. Now, the signs of the um, Japanific uh, Japanification have been happening in the US through this bank risk aversion caused in part by the financial crisis of 2009. Now Japan had its own financial crisis in about 1990 that kind of spurred a similar thing where it did shake out a lot of the banks. Um, and it took kind of a decade until it really started showing in the economy. And a lot of experts are kind of worried that the US, the same thing is happening. now. Why is that the case, right? If you take a look at tier one capital, which is a measure of um, safe assets that banks um, park their money in, between 2010 and 2019, that ratio went from 11.5 to 14%. Now, it doesn't sound like that much, right? It's, well, you know, it's only 2.5%, but in banking terms, because money, there's a money multiplier effect, it's actually quite large. Now, it's, to the point where even the World Bank has asked the questions, uh, are banks being too risk averse, right? Now, the problem that we have in the US going forward is that um, what's happening right now is that the debts that we're going to have to pay going forward are actually still growing larger. Uh, this is the same problem that Japan had as its society aged. Because if you take a look at the to uh, total US debt, we're adding corporate and government together, we're right now at about um, $65 trillion. And this number is projected to continue to grow. We're basically making promises to those who are going to be retiring um, in the future. So this actually does pose a little bit of a problem going forward, right? Where um, the smaller your working age base to support a larger and larger retired population, it saps the economy financially, it saps the economy from, a, um, from an innovation standpoint because all the resources are being pooled from, rather than innovating new, they're being used to take care of the elderly, which by the way is something that should be done, obviously. But one of the things that the US has done to keep its population relatively young, because our birth rate actually is um, only, I think, 1.7 kids 
per um, per woman, which is less than the 2.1 kids you need to maintain population. One of the reasons we maintain, actually we're growing in population, is through immigration. Now, immigration does have its um, short-term negative effects of being able to absorb the people into the population, to be able to um, make them basically productive in the economy. But in the long run, if you take a look at the US compared to Japan, which by the way had a very, very strict and still does a very, very strict immigration policy, um, you'll see that the um, Japan is a country age so quickly, so much faster than the US um, because of their very strict immigration policies. So when we're taking a look at whether Japanification will happen or not in the US, it depends, I think, a lot on immigration for the long run. It depends a lot on whether we extend that um, working age, like whether we increase retirement age, and well, in part as well, um, whether we can make folks more productive here in the U.S. So basically, people who are who might be losing their jobs for from new immigrants being able to retrain folks and get them um, working. Well, and if you have those three things, basically your economy is going to be able to, well, the US economy is going to be able to sidestep what's happened in Japan. So in any case, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.